on this episode of The Kinked Wire. It's not me trying to do five more so that you guys do five less. It's me trying to work with you to reach out to these women that are suffering in silence out in the community. There's, you know, somewhere in the United States, two to three million women that have symptomatic uterine fibroids that just aren't getting treatment at all. Welcome to The Kinked Wire, the new podcast for SIR's IR Quarterly Magazine. You can learn more at our website, sirweb.org slash IRQ. Recently, interventional radiologist A.J. Gunn and his colleagues discovered that they weren't getting many UFE referrals, and surprisingly few from inside their institution. Working with our hospital's marketing team and collaborating with the gynecologic community, they doubled their practice's annual number of fibroid referrals. Recently, Kinked Wire hosts Warren Krakoff and Jamin Shaw spoke with A.J. about the novel way he and his colleagues reversed the trend. Thanks for being with us today. Just uh, a few questions for you because you've really done some unique things, I think, uh, that will be of interest to a lot of IRs. When you first set this up with your hospital marketing group, how did you know? How did you go about doing that? How did you approach them and sort of how did that play itself out? Initially, I didn't even really know that there was a marketing program. And I think that that is probably the situation that most interventional radiologists find themselves in. And so when we started an interventional radiology ambulatory clinic, the clinic staff actually put us in contact with the marketing team here at UAB. And so it was their idea to find a patient story, right, that, that's something that would be compelling, that's something they could use. And so we just kind of kept our eye out for patients who we thought might be um, good in describing their story in front of a camera. And we were lucky enough to, to find someone who was very well-spoken, had a great experience with his uterine fibroid embolization, was willing to help us out. And so uh, that's kind of what I took away from that is I think that most, even if you're private practice or in academics, I mean, you know, the hospitals that you work out probably have marketing teams and, and it's kind of their job to kind of help build the business for the hospital. And I think as long as you sell it in a sense that we're just trying to increase the reach of what the hospital can provide patients in the area, um, my guess is they'd be more than willing to partner with you in producing some sort of materials for patients or referring physicians. That's great. Um, it sounds like, you know, you've got really kind of a unified front there with, with the hospital group. Be, you know, the marketing group being behind you. I mean, some of our members probably face different political situations. Any thoughts about, you know, how they may have to deal with that in terms of marketing? Yeah, and, and we ran into that. So we produced a short video, and that got put on our website or got put on the main UAB website, and then it got picked up by a local news station, and then they invited me to come do kind of one of those 12 o'clock health segments. And that's kind of what really caught the attention of the OBGYN department here. And I think initially it was kind of seen as, hey, you're, you're marketing this thing and we're not doing it super collaboratively. But the reality was is that how we talked about it kind of going forward was that, you know, we are trying to do this in a collaborative way. I want to be an extension of, and I think that's the right way to, to, to address it, is I want to be an extension to your practice. There's going to be patients that come who don't want surgery or who have heard about uterine fibroid embolization somewhere else. And so, you know, have them come talk to us and so that we can provide uh, consultation for them going forward. And so I think if you look at it like that, and especially in interventional radiology where you don't necessarily see the patients primarily, we're kind of a referral service from other physicians in most cases, you know, you really need to sell yourself as an extension of that physician's practice and not as a competing part to to their practice. And I think 
Um, well, what I always talk about in uterine fibroid embolization is that there's, you know, they perform about, I don't know, about 400,000 hysterectomies a year for uterine fibroids, and we do about 40 to 50,000 uterine fibroid embolizations. It's not me trying to do five more so that you guys do five less. It's me trying to work with you to reach out to these women that are kind of, you know, suffering in silence out in the community. There's, you know, somewhere in the United States, two to three million women that have symptomatic uterine fibroids that just aren't getting treatment at all. And so I think, you know, if you frame it is that way, it's not a push-pull between another service, but it's really about increasing the reach of the hospital. And I think that's probably a lot more uh, successful. That's interesting. Have you guys encountered any challenges thus far or things that you found were a little bit more difficult than you thought they may be? Yeah, it was much more difficult than I thought that it was going to be because I think uh, when you talk to people, everyone, you know, when they talk about practice building, it's just go to the tumor board and, and, and go give talks. And, and and that was, you know, so we tried all of that, right? So we would email and say, hey, we'd love to give you guys a talk about this or we come give grand rounds about this topic. And for a long time, it I mean, for almost a, a year, it was radio silence. And it wasn't really until – we started a little bit of direct-to-patient uh, marketing that we started to collaborate a little bit more with our with our GYN department. And, you know, when we met with them, we just kind of had to kind of show the numbers about the number of cases that we were doing, about the number of referrals that they were sending, and that the, the majority of our referrals were actually coming from outside of UAB. There were patients just referring themselves or physicians from outside UAB referring that. And I think that was really helpful to kind of say, hey, like, what can we do to improve this situation? And ever since then, it's been a very collaborative relationship. And so, you know, my advice in that sense would be is that it doesn't happen all at once, that it takes time. And just because you tried one thing doesn't mean you shouldn't try something else. Um, and because it can get frustrating, you know, I mean, a year plus when you don't really have any success and then eventually, hopefully things will start to kind of chip away as you try different treatment, you know, try different strategies to, to in increase that practice and, and build that practice. But it's definitely a little bit of the, uh, of the long haul, especially early on. Sounds like you really persevered through all, through all of that, which is a good uh, message probably for all of us. And on top of that, and, you know, I had people inside the hospital say, oh, we've tried this, we've tried that. And, and, you know, and so I would also not let that deter you because just because somebody else tried it doesn't mean it's not going to work when you tried it. And, okay. um, you know, we had new OBGYN physicians get hired by the hospital, which were more interested in uterine fibroid embolization as compared to some of the other physicians that had been there. And so, you know, different factors come in at different times. And I think, just because somebody did something at some point doesn't mean that you shouldn't try it going forward in the future. So, uh, you know, so again, it's just don't be discouraged and kind of keep plugging away if it's something that you're really interested in building. That's, that's another really good takeaway. With being able to sort of be more collaborative with the OBGYNs, have you found that you're sort of working patients up more as a team? Like they're going to send you a patient, do they do the MRI for you and all that kind of stuff? Or you know, is it still sort of your workup, your separate patient? You know, how does that work for you guys? That was one thing for us is that we just started to say, listen, with a clinic space, and I think that's decreased the barrier to referral because it used to be if you sent them to us, it was basically setting them up for a procedure. Now, at this point, I'm able to go and say, you can send them to us. We're just going to sit down in our clinic. We're going to talk about it. We're going to discuss what the options are, kind of what the patient's goals are. And it doesn't necessarily mean that patient's going to get a procedure. Maybe they do nothing. Maybe they go get a hysterectomy. Maybe they schedule a uterine fibroid embolization. But we're just talking about it. We're not necessarily scheduling mm. a procedure. 
That's one thing. The other thing is, is that we order, like in our practice at least, we order any ultrasounds or MRIs we do. You know, for our clinic, we don't rely on anybody else to do that for us. We order any, you know, laboratory work that we might need for the procedure as well. The only thing I would say that we obviously rely on our uh, GYN colleagues for in the workup is, you know, making sure that if we're worried that, you know, if it's postmenopausal bleeding, have they had a recent endometrial biopsy or is there pap smear up to me? Those different kinds of things. And I think... You know, that's been really helpful because now, because of the increased collaboration, if there's someone who's, you know, missing that piece for uterine fibroid embolization, I'm much more comfortable, you know, sending an email to one of my GYN colleagues and say, hey, would you mind seeing this patient because of X, Y, and Z? And so for us, uh, we've moved, and the post-procedure part of it for us, we've moved now to mostly to discharging the same day. But even when the patients are staying overnight with us, they're staying on our service, not on a GYN service. We're following them up in a couple of weeks just to make sure pain's under control, nausea's under control. And then we're seeing them again at six months to make sure there has been symptom resolution. And so we kind of can follow that whole course of treatment until we send them back to GYN and say, hey, listen, they're having really good results. There's really no need to follow us with this anymore. So we're just going to send them back to your clinic. And then that's been really successful for us. That's great. Have you found that this collaboration um, and kind of working together as a team has led to other opportunities for you guys to either meet or discuss more complicated patients like patients that have adenomyosis or, you know, just patients that are a puzzle as to what might be best um, for their care. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I think that that was the great thing about it is I think once we kind of finally sat down at a table and talked about it, I think everybody kind of realized that we're just trying to do what's best for patients. They were great about that. So, they invited me to give uh, grand rounds, which was really helpful because the residents have their own resident-run clinic. And so for the residents to hear, you know, a detailed explanation of uterine fibroid embolization that they hadn't heard before was really key, you know, for our practice. On top of that, we started every six weeks, which is what their rotations were, every six weeks we were having a uterine fibroid conference where we kind of bring a couple articles and do almost like a mini journal club. Uh, with the GYN residents, but then we'd also show a couple cases of uterine fibroids, the you know the MRI, the ultrasound, the angiographic findings, uh, and dis- discuss some of these things. Um, also, they have these kind of local GYN updates, you know, for private practice people out in the community that they've invited us to go speak at. So I think it's created a lot of opportunities, you know, for us to, again, collaborate, to learn from one another, and to, you know, increase the patient care that we provide. I think that that's actually probably more important or, you know, some of the more important points is that, you know, working together allows for those things to happen and things to grow beyond kind of what you may have even thought they were going to be initially. Yep. And there's this article that that I use in this uterine fibroid embolization talk where it's basically a back and forth between a GYN and and an IR in Houston that have a pretty collaborative relationship. And the quote that I pull out of it from the GYN is that, the collaboration has actually increased the number of patients that come to the clinic, right? Because, you know, there might be patients that come to you wanting to hear about an, a non-surgical option, but when they don't hear about it, they might just kind of go off into, into nowhere and not follow up for a year or two years after that. And the point that I try to make to them is that you might not hear it often in your clinic, but I hear it pretty often in my clinic that 
I've been having this problem for five years. It wasn't until I Googled something about it and found you guys, or it wasn't until I heard a radio ad in Atlanta or Nashville and was able to hear about right. uterine fibroid embolization, and then they come back to our clinic. And so, uh, yeah, it has certainly, you know, increased the uh, the collaboration and the care that we can provide for these women because I think they're getting a more complete, and even when they come to my clinic, there have been at least two or three patients in the last year that I said, hey, this is probably is not the best option for you, and you might want to go discuss myomectomy, and we'll send them back over to the GYN clinic. And so it's not a huge number of patients, but it's enough that kind of demonstrates the value in what we're doing together. Have you been able, AJ, to sort of leverage this success with other specialties in the hospital, uh, maybe for PAD work, prostate embolization, that kind of thing, or how has that been for you? You know, it's uh, it's not necessarily leverage, but you learn from the experiences, right? And okay. so you kind of say, you know, this worked, this didn't work. And on top of that, every, like, service and every physician is different. And so typically what I try to tell people when, when we talk about this is that you really have to understand the needs of that referring service, right? And present yourself, like we talked about before, as an extension of their practice. And so I feel like if you're going to go into a urology practice and be like, listen, no one needs to be getting a TERP, everybody should be getting a prostate artery embolization, you're probably not going to make a lot of friends initially. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think, you know, you know, I think going in and talking about, hey, listen, there might be some patients with very enlarged prostates that might not be good TERP candidates. There might be patients that are poor surgical candidates. And, and you know, get your foot in the door that way. And, again, mm-hmm. present yourself as kind of an ex- extension of their practice. Uh, and there's this patient population that you can serve that, that they don't really know what to do with right now. And on top of, you know, apart from that, if you are always presenting yourself as a partner to these referring services, and even if it's not the, the, the big, cool cases that you want, even if it's just biopsies and tube changes and all these other kinds of things, I mean, if you can present yourself as a willing partner for those simple kinds of things, they typically will see you as somebody that they can trust for the larger stuff. Because I really do believe that people don't send you cases because they're overwhelmed with the data. I feel like people send you cases because they hmm. trust you. They know yeah, that Dr. So-and-so is going to... They are going to take good care of my patients. They're going to have a nice experience. I trust them that they're not going to do anything crazy or cause a complication, and they're going to follow back up with me so I know what's going on with that patient. And so, you know, you can have all the data that you want, but if they don't trust you, you know, then then, uh, I think you're going to be, you know, climbing uphill constantly uh, in this kind of business. Excellent point, yeah. So if not in the kind of other services around the hospital has – the uterine fibroid collaboration led to additional consults within the, you know, OBGYN world of pelvic congestion syndrome, maybe May Thurner syndrome, other um, women's health issues. I wouldn't say, you know, a little bit, but but it's it's more been along the line of the fact that since I know them a little bit better now, I can potentially, if I see one of their patients who, you know, comes to me for say gets nephrostomy tubes for cervical cancer or something like that, and they've got, you know, chronic pain, like, I feel more comfortable calling them and emailing them now and say, hey, listen, 
why don't we consider a nerve block, you know, potentially for this patient? Or if it's a leak after radiation, why don't we consider ureteral embolization so that they don't continue coming back into the hospital with abscesses in their pelvis and things like that? So I would say those kinds of things have definitely increased, and their, their, their likelihood of saying yes to those kinds of things have increased, um, mostly because of that collaboration. So I always am trying to look out for little opportunities where I see that we can add values for some patients, and, and what I see them, I try to take advantage of them. Slightly tangential uh, topic. Um, I, I happen to do a lot of uh, transradial uh, embolizations myself, and and I found that was sort of appealing as a marketing tool, if you will, to the OBGYN uh, as well as to patients. Is that something? You know, I know it's a little controversial for in some circles, but what, what's your feeling on that, or, or is that something you've used, or how does that, how does that work for you guys? Yeah, I mean, I've swap to primarily transradial for uterine fibroid embolization because I think it makes mm-hmm. sense in the sense that it's a it's a one-off procedure typically. Um, I'm not having to go back through there multiple times. The patients typically don't have, you know, significant atherosclerosis or surgery or potential dialysis patients, you know. And then also I think there's an anatomic advantage of pointing down at those internal iliac arteries instead of kind of coming up and over the arch like we traditionally do. But I do Agreed. agree. I think, I think when we showed the slide of transradial access in Grand Round, I could definitely see some eyes open up. And so, I, do, you know, I do think, like, in a sense, they hadn't seen that before, and I think it was intriguing, at least as a hook in saying what you knew about uterine fibroid embolization 10 to 15 years ago isn't exactly what it is today. And I think that that was the, the most stark representation of the fact that, oh, they're going through the wrist and the patient's just getting this little nick and they're just getting an armband and they're going home the same day and they're not you know, on a pain pump for two or three days like we thought mm-hmm. they used to be, things like that. So, so yeah, I mean, I think definitely as, you know, as, a, as a way to kind of say, hey, listen, we can do this through the wrist and they're up and walking the same day. I think it caught people's attention, but that's just kind of my personal opinion of it from, you know, from being in the room. Okay. Great. Knowing now uh, what you've gone through and some of the challenges you, you described, I mean, are there things you would have done differently? So if you were having this talk with a young IR who was trying to start out uh, his or her practice, uh, your, your fibroid embolization, or, you know, anything you'd, you'd tell them, whatever you do, don't do this, or make sure you do that. <laughs> Let's say present yourself as an extension of those people's practice and, and, and don't be like, mm. well, we can take this from you. It's, it's that this is how I can help you. You're helping all these right. other patients, but you've got this subset of patients that you're not really doing anything for, right? These people that definitely don't want surgery. What are we doing? Medications aren't helping them. I have a treatment for those kinds of patients. And once you send them over to me, that's going to really help you get your foot in the door. I would say, you know, the other thing on the to-do, which is probably also on the not-to-do list, is, you know, it's it's a little tough, I would say. You know, for me, when I got here, you know, people don't know who you are. They don't know your voice. They don't know your intentions because they're just beating you. And so, you know, it might, you know, it might be beneficial to kind of sit and watch for a little bit. Um, talk to people as you can. What's going on with this? What have you guys tried, you know, uh, to, to build a practice there? As you meet referring physicians about other cases, say, hey, what are you guys' thoughts about this? What are your thoughts about that? And then you'll kind of understand what the, you know, what the background politics of the situation is because then you can kind of start planning, you know, a little bit better when you understand the players and when you understand kind of what's worked in the past, what hasn't worked in the past, um, maybe what some of the, the grievances between the two services have been before. So 
there really is some benefit in just kind of sitting back a little bit and just kind of like assessing the mm-hmm. situation before you go full bore. And the other thing I would say is that you just you got to be really you know you got to be really careful about the things that you say and that you do because you know you can you can run afoul of people pretty quick. Um, and I I would say that initially until we had a good sit down with our GYNs, I think initially they you know they said to me, well you made it sound like in the video that we weren't referring uterine fibroid embolizations. And I, and I said, well, honestly, I, I had the numbers. And I said, well, listen, you're, you're really not overall compared to what we should probably be doing. That being said, it wasn't my intention to make it sound like that. But, you know, I probably could have been, you know, more uh, cautious in the choice of words that mm. I've used. And so, okay. and so, you know, and so those are the kinds of things you got to think about because when people don't know you, you know, and they don't understand your intentions, they don't understand your background, you know, that's their first impression of you a little bit. So those would be kind of a mix of do's and don'ts, I would say, for people going out and do it is, is you know, sometimes, you know, a little bit of caution going through and you don't always want to go full bore all the time. And you got to understand the players and make sure that you're doing it in a way that's going to be sustainable, right? Because you can push something through, but if you kind of anger people and make people set while you're doing it, that's not the recipe for a sustainable referral line in the long term. That was Dr. A.J. Gunn talking about his practice's path from marketing video to GYN collaboration. You can get more stories of IR collaboration at the website of IR Quarterly Magazine, surweb.org slash IRQ. And you can get resources to help your own efforts to collaborate with referring physicians at visiontoheal.org. Thank you, Dr. Gunn, for your time. And thank you for listening to The Kink Wire. Our co-hosts are Dr. Warren Krakoff and Dr. Jamin Shaw. Our sound engineer is Dr. Jason Fisher. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have thoughts or ideas or anything else you'd like to tell us, we want to hear from you. Drop us a line at irq.surweb.org.